Well, one of the things that I think that we uh, can find kind of frustrating in human communication is it doesn't take much effort to find people on the opposite ends of the spectrum. And so that can be frustrating for trying to find a sense of alignment, uh, but we shouldn't be surprised by it. I mean, we hear events that take place in the world on a daily basis. And by the time that these events are airing out on the different news networks, you've got different stories, different perspectives. So the idea of different perspectives, um, it shouldn't surprise us. Welcome to the show that loves doubters. Here at Christianity Still Makes Sense, we love it when doubters or skeptics share their thoughts on one of our videos. Apologia, a former Christian examining the claims of Christians, responded to a video that Bobby released on Cross-Examine's YouTube channel on Divine Hiddenness. Now, the link to Paul's full video is in the description if you want to go ahead and watch his full response. We thought it'd be a good idea to look at a few clips and get Bobby's response. Now, before we get to those clips, Bobby, what were your impressions after watching this video? Well, I'm thankful that Paul took some time to share his thoughts. Uh, I, you know, appreciated overall the tone. A lot of times what takes place in these uh, response videos is we are, you know, harsh towards somebody or, you know, really start criticizing a person's character. And I didn't really feel that from uh, Paul. And obviously you're thankful for that because obviously we want to build relationships with people, even if we don't see eye to eye. I would be a pretty shallow person if the only people I could have relationships with were those that agreed with me and saw things uh, my way. And so thankfully, Paul was willing to share his thoughts. And, uh, you know, he shared, you know, his frustrations or uh, challenges that he had. He, I wouldn't even use the word frustrations. Actually, I'd just say the challenges that he had with what I said. And I think it's fair, we, you know, but at the end of the day, what you realize too sometimes is how difficult it is to, to really arrive at that unified place that I think that we want to. And largely there's things that have influenced Paul and there's things that have influenced me to arrive at my beliefs. And so it's probably unrealistic to expect each other to put, you know, an episode out in response and to come to a, a sense of alignment. But the good news is, is I can say at the end of the day, I think that if you're going to do a response video to somebody, he did it in a tone that I certainly appreciated. Yeah, and, and I, I would echo that. And so let's just talk maybe before we get to some of these clips. Um, the video that you did was on divine hiddenness, and you were pulling from a philosopher uh, that was talking about divine hiddenness, and you kind of laid out an argument. Uh, Schallenberg is the the philosopher, is that correct? Yeah, John Schallenberger. Yeah, John Schallenberger. Okay. So so in this first clip, and that's important because in this first clip, the argument is actually on the screen. So Paul kind of goes through that, but then he kind of gives his own version of the argument. So let's go ahead and check out this first clip, and then I got some questions for you. The kind of divine hiddenness argument that I put forth, at least, that is compelling to me, is that if there is a divine being who wants to have a relationship with me, then there would be no res non-resistant non-believers. There could be a deistic God that doesn't care about humans, doesn't care about apologia, uh, and that's fine. The divine hiddenness argument doesn't speak about such a deity. It only speaks about a deity that wants to have a relationship because it presumably if it is, if it both wants to have a relationship with me and is also all knowing and all powerful, there's nothing stopping it from 
letting me know that it exists so that I can at least have intellectual assent. Okay, Bobby, what, if anything, is maybe wrong with Paul's version? What, how would you critique that? Well, you know, when I'm listening to the argument there, premise one assumes that if God wants to have a relationship with Paul, then there would be no other non-resistant non-believer. So I'm not quite clear um, why it is that if God would want to have a relationship with Paul, then that would mean there would be no resistant non-belief from other people. So like, why would God wanting a relationship with Paul as one who is a non-resistant non-believer mean that there would be no other non-resistant non-believer? So the point is not clear to me, uh, but to give the benefit of the doubt to Paul, maybe, uh, you know, he didn't think through or read something that he wrote down. And so therefore in stating premise one, uh, he really meant that he would be non-resistant had God made himself more aware, not that other people would be non-resistant as non-believers as well. And so perhaps that's what he meant, but certainly Paul can't represent all non-resistant non-believers because uh, not all non-resistant non-believers offer the same reasons uh, for their non-belief. Uh, premise one also assumes that if God merely wants a relationship with someone, namely Paul, uh, then Paul would be non-resistant. But God wanting to have a relationship with us doesn't mean the favor is going to be returned, as in the case of you know Paul. Uh, in 2 Peter 3, 9, God's not willing that any should perish. Uh, so, you know, from a Christian perspective, uh, you know, and I w realize I'm wearing my Christian hat here. I don't look and think that God has not done, uh, a, you know, his um, job of making himself known. I certainly think he has. I think premise two is a problem if we can't prove that. Um, it might be the case, but how would we ever know? Like, how would we get to the bottom of ourselves to know without a doubt that our motives and our beliefs that are that they're all aligned. So in premise two, he says, there are, you know, non-resistant, non-believers. And he sees himself um, one of those. And I would just say that, you know, it's funny because he mentions himself as non-resistant, um, but he doesn't believe in Christianity, right? Well, why do you resist Christianity? Well, a lack of evidence. So a lack of evidence is one of the things that becomes a reason for resistance. One of the things right. that he, so, so even the fact that, well, there's a lack of evidence. Well, that's one of the reasons that you're giving that causes you to resist it. So a lack of evidence becomes a reason for resistance. So there is some resistance and there's resistance in the fact that there's a lack of evidence. So it's to, to say that there's no resistance uh, at all. Uh, well, what if you don't like the evidence that's been provided? Uh, we, you know, it, it just seems it's, it's lacking in credulity. I think to say that there's no evidence like, like, you know, because plenty of people are believing in God because they would say of the evidence. So right. It's six to half a dozen here. Right, right. right. Well, I, again, so you laid out this argument in, in your video, which again, the link for that is in the description of this video on our YouTube channel. People can find that and check that video out. And, 
in that again, as you said, you went through this argument. Now, the interesting thing in this next clip that we're going to watch is you said that, you know, kind of the issue might be that somebody might have is with premise two, as you just talked about. But Paul's actually going to say, well, no, I, I think it's premise one. So let, let's listen to what he has to say. And then there was some comments that kind of followed that up on the video that I want to read and, and have you respond to. Let's let's check out this clip. How might we respond? Personally, I think the problem is with premise one through no fault. Yeah, I should have known. The problem, I talked about my problems being with premise two. No, no, no. He wants to go with problems or premise, premise one. People, people, it's definitely the people's fault that you're not accepting God. It's not God's fault. It's the people's fault. So, uh, so again, there was a little bit of disagreement there. W one of the comments from uh, somebody named William Watson said, when I met my wife, she lived 400 miles away and I got her to move by convincing her that I was serious about having a relationship. You'd think the creator of the universe could put forth a little more effort in that he wants, if he wants a relationship with me. So it, Bobby, is God not willing to put forth any effort in having a relationship with William or Paul or any other you know, supposed non-believer? Well, I'd say I'm, I'm on one side of it. Like, for example, Paul does this response video and he says, see, of course, like he deals with premise one when, you know, I mentioned premise two. Well, I didn't make the video, uh, you know, originally with Apologia in mind. Like, for example, uh, you know, so if I did this video and I was talking about Paul and then I bring out premise one, well, then I could see him saying that's a problem. But he represents just a fraction of all of the different varieties of non-believers that we have. And so for me to take premise one and, and address that, uh, I wasn't trying to overlook, uh, you know, Paul's feelings or thoughts on that. And so that would be very easy for me to go put videos together where somebody writes a piece or does a video piece and it's not even you know, dealing with maybe my thoughts on something. And then I proceed to do a response video about how this person didn't consider my thoughts. Um, right. And I think that, that it's fair to bring up what he's bringing, no problem. Um, but I would say that at the same token, it's also fair for me to bring up what I had to say around premise one. Now, is God not putting forth any effort to have a relationship, you ask? Uh, you know, with William or Paul. And when I hear somebody like, you know, the statement that William says, oh, she moved four miles out of a relationship. Uh, well, Jesus left heaven and came to earth to die on a cross for us. I think that it, that's putting in effort <laughs> under a Christian worldview. I'm thinking, look, I'd be impressed too if my girlfriend moved 400 miles, but God came from heaven to earth in the person of Jesus, lived a perfect uh, life and was brutally tortured and you know killed for our sins and rose from the grave and so i when i think of god making himself known again i'm wearing my christian hat um if i need to take the christian hat off we can talk about ways that god has made himself known if we're just going to look at theism where we can look at some of the different arguments for the existence of god but when it comes to christianity what other vision um can we think of where a god attempts to make himself known to us. I mean, it's, he comes in the flesh, right? Um, and we know in the Bible that no one's going to be without excuse in Romans chapter one. So I would say that God has went to great lengths 
to make himself known. And the very fact that Jesus rose from the grave and the historical evidence that I think we have for that is going to be enough for people to have to deal with, to recognize, do I believe in Jesus or not? And go to the resurrection. If you can explain the resurrection away, then that's fine. Paul says, if Jesus hasn't rose from the grave, then we're still in our sins. And for me, when I suffered from just long seasons of doubt, it was the resurrection that I couldn't explain away that helped me to hold on. Well, yeah. And again, there's several other maybe biblical examples where, you know, God maybe have been, maybe was maybe more evident than someone might argue. Again, there's lots of evidence in the Old Testament of God being with his people, and they still rebelled. And so that's one thing that we just have to take into consideration as we're talking about this. But, uh, you know, this topic that we're discussing kind of links on to this other comment that was on the video from someone named John, and he says, uh, this guy, and he's referring to, to you in the video, is proposing the classic abusive relationship, that the abuser is always right and therefore can never be expected to change or be responsible. Don't blame the abuser, he just works in mysterious ways. The abused person just has to try harder and meet those standards. And what is even better is to be an imaginary abuser. <laughs> Despite the best intentions, the abused person can never get the okay from the abuser. Stone silence just means it's harder and harder. So, Bobby, how would you respond to that sort of comment? Is God an abuser? Are you suggesting that God is always right and therefore he can never be expected to change or be responsible? How should we think about John's comments here? Well, one of the things that I think that we uh, can find kind of frustrating in human communication is it doesn't take much effort to find people on the opposite ends of the spectrum. And so that can be frustrating for trying to find a sense of alignment, uh, but we shouldn't be surprised by it. I mean, we hear events that take place in the world on a daily basis. And by the time that these events are airing out on the different news networks, you've got different stories, different perspectives. So the idea of different perspectives, um, it shouldn't surprise us, uh, given that different perspectives emerge on day one of an event happening, let alone when you're trying to assess something that's so um, far back in our history. Uh, but I don't look at it like God being an abuser. Uh, I think you're dealing sometimes with perspective stuff. How do you want to look at the script, so to speak? Uh, for me, when I look in the Bible, what do I see? I see a God who, number one, he puts us in the garden to begin with, to create this, like, and puts us in, you know, a, a wonderful setup uh, and then warns us what to do. We reject the warning and in rejecting the warning, then he, go, he goes ahead and he still graces them, right? Close, close them, uh, you know, with the animal that was sacrificed. And then even after all of that, people still continue to rebel. Like the first two children, Cain and Abel. Hey, what does God say to Cain? Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, right? Flee it. Nope, Cain doesn't do it. He kills his brother Abel. But then what does God do? Well, he puts a mark on Cain's head and protects him. Uh, I mean, before the flood, I mean, Noah warned, you know, for 40 years that, that there's going to be a coming flood. People rejected. The prophets warned that the Messiah was coming. They killed the prophets. Jesus came saying he's the one that was to come. They crucified him. The followers went about saying he rose from the grave. grave. They killed the followers. So all that to say, uh, God goes to these great lengths. And what does God do? Right. He warns us not to sin. But then when we do sin, he 
offers us forgiveness and mercy and grace if we'll believe in the one that he would send as our Messiah. But then we reject the Messiah and we reject those who believe in the Messiah. And then we call God an abuser for basically abusing him with our sin over and over again. And so I just don't see that. Like I, I look at that and I go, you could, you could say that kind of statement regardless of what the God is that you're reading about. Because if the God that you're reading about is a God that wants a relationship with you, but you still remain in a state where you don't want a relationship with that God, then you can just come up with an argument that says, well, this God's an abuser because he's going to punish me for not wanting a relationship, even though he claims to want one with me. He hasn't given me enough evidence. Right. That's, I mean, that's an excellent point. To start off with calling God an abuser uh, seems to kind of show your hand that you're not necessarily a non-resistant non-believer. And again, John didn't say that right. he was. He's just commenting on this video. So I think that's a really interesting point. So let's jump to this next clip. Uh, you know, in this next clip, kind of right before we, we jump in here, Bobby, you are giving some reasons why somebody might be resistant, and Paul is going to respond to those. So let's check this out. All right. So yeah, you, you just have emotional scars or something. No, I don't have emotional scars from religion. Presuppositions. Well, my presupposition used to be that God existed. I don't, I no longer have the presupposition in either case that God does or does not exist. I did, I worked very hard to eliminate that presupposition. I do have presuppositions of an evidentialist that I want to apportion my belief to the evidence provided, but that seems entirely reasonable and doesn't rule out God can easily clear that hurdle. That's not a, a hurdle that prevents God from, from reaching me. Uh, allegedly, Lee Strobel had that same bar and God cleared it for him. J. Warner Wallace had that bar, allegedly, cleared it for him. So that's not an unreasonable presupposition. You're just, and, and then he's just, and anything else that is blocking you. So it, he's defining this into existence. If you don't believe in God, I'm defining your mental state as blocking it, whether you can identify it or not. So one of the things that I wanted to highlight here and get your thoughts on, Bobby, is that Paul says that he has evidentialist presupposition. So why can't or hasn't God given him the evidence that he desires to kind of remove his resistance and, you know, become a Christian again? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, Tim. Um, I could imagine if I'm just trying to take Paul at his word, that that would be frustrating, right? He would hear somebody like me, you know, saying these are the lines of evidence, but then he perceives himself as being non-resistant uh, to that evidence. And then you're kind of at, you know, a stalemate. You're, you're having a hard time moving forward. And so when I think about that, I could imagine how frustrating that would be, um, you know, if Paul is truly desiring a relationship with God, like really wanting that. And so at the, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm in a bit of a position because the Bible's telling me as a Christian that no one's going to be without excuse. So do I want to take and believe God and his word that no one's going to be without excuse? Or am I going to take Paul at his word that he has an excuse? that God has not given him enough evidence. And that's his excuse. It's like Bertrand Russell, like, you know, he was asked, you know, if you die and find out that God exists, and he says, why didn't you believe? What are you going to say? And Russell said, not enough evidence, not enough evidence. And 
it, it, it can feel a little bit like that. And, and here's the thing that I would say, I don't think Paul's going to be able to say there wasn't enough evidence because he has people every day, uh, you know, that he's interacting with that is presenting the evidence to him. He's rejecting the evidence right now. If let's say atheism is true and I'm wrong, well, okay. It's lights out for me when I die. Uh, and I'm not even gonna, you know, have a consciousness to regret the fact that I wasted my life living for Jesus when there was no such thing as Christian truth because <laughs> I'm lights out for me. Right. right. Um, but if it's it, but if, but if I'm right, right. And, Paul's wrong. Paul is not going to be able to say not enough evidence because he is going to literally have been told that there was evidence presented to him, evidence for the resurrection, arguments for the existence of God. He chose not to believe those. Those didn't fit his criteria. So it's like the person warned of a coming storm and the person says, I'm just going to ride this out while other people are, are getting the heck out of town. Well, the rain starts coming and people start telling him to board up his house. Now nah, I'm just going to ride this out. Well, the water starts climbing. He has to get out of his house. A boat drives by. Hey, get in the boat, man. You're going to drown. No, nah, I'm fine. Then the helicopter comes by and lifeguard throws down, you know, something for him to grab onto a life vest and he re rejects it. Then he dies. And then it's like he's before God. Not enough evidence. Right. That there was a storm coming. I didn't believe. Well, what do you mean? The meteorologist told you people were leaving town. People were boarding up their houses. You had a boat offered to you. You had, you know, a raft thrown your way and you rejected all of those things. And then you drown and you can't after you drown, say that you didn't know. And I think right. that for him to say he doesn't know. Well, he knows what Christians claim and he's rejecting it, saying it's not yeah. enough evidence. And God's not going to be impressed with that answer. Well, I, one of the things that I want to highlight that you said that you just said there is, I think sometimes we get in this position where we're stuck to say, do we believe somebody like Paul or do we believe the words of Scripture? Do we believe what God has told us in His Word? And I think that's where for them, and I understand that it can be frustrating because Paul is saying, I am telling you that I am non-resistant, but then we have the Word saying that you will be without excuse, and so there is a little bit of tension that I think that we have to hold there. Let's try to do one more clip before we wrap up this episode. And I think this is a really good one. So we'll, we'll hit this next clip. Here we go. Not helpful. And maybe is going to be assuring for your own congregation. Like this is clearly not to help me, even though later you're going to try to address me. You are merely trying to make excuses for your own flock as to why what's obvious to you isn't obvious to everyone, I think. Uh, I wish that you were honestly trying to address a non-believer, but you're not. There can be a combination of rational, relational, social, emotional, and volitional conditions that impair one's ability to be fruitfully objective. What also could be said about every sentence he says, of course, is equally true of the Christian, right? You, there's all kinds of emotional and volitional and pragmatic reasons why you might want to believe in Christianity and it is blocking you from noticing that there isn't sufficient evidence. Well, he gets a little personal there, doesn't he, Bobby? But but I think what he said there at the end is really the part that I wanted to highlight. You know, can't this be, just be flipped around on Christians? Don't those same factors that you were mentioning, you know, apply equally to Christians if we're the ones that are wrong and God doesn't actually exist? So if not, what's the difference there? 
Well, I think that he makes a, a fair point. I mean, we all have to make sure that we recognize our biases. Uh, we have to make sure that we're, you know, even aware if there's any kind of wish fulfillment to use kind of Freudian language uh, that we want to happen. Uh, and, and that can go both ways. Obviously, the atheist can be, you know, it's like Freud's argument about believers. Well, you can say that for non-believers. There could be a wish fulfillment that God doesn't exist because you don't want to be accountable for your sin. Uh, you don't want to be guilty before God. So, yeah, I mean, all of that stuff, we have to be aware of it. But it still does play a role, but it doesn't play the ultimate role in what is truth. And so we're just trying to get at that. And that's something I'm not uh, questioning the motive on Paul that he's, you know, I believe that he's trying to to get at truth. Uh, and I believe that I'm trying to get at truth. Uh, what are yeah. those things that are blocking both of us and blinding both of us? And to what degree? That's hard to say. Well, Bobby, thank you so much for kind of going through all of these different clips. And, you know, again, we, we challenge people to go watch uh, the video that Paul did and to watch your original video. And you can find, again, that on, on Cross-Examine's website or on their uh, YouTube channel. And you can find the video and the link to this video. So with that, thank you so much for joining us. We hope to meet you next time as we continue to make sure that Christianity still makes sense. <laughs>